Welcome to another episode of Code for Thought. Funding is a perpetual issue in research, and perhaps even more so for software engineering in and for research. Yes, we do now have recognized positions for research software engineering in some countries and some institutions, but we are still far away from having software engineering recognized as an important contribution to science. Which means that often funding is still hard to come by, is temporary, and doesn't take into account the fact that software may extend the lifetime of a research project. To tackle this, the eScience Centre in the Netherlands and the Research Software Alliance organised a workshop in November 2022. Over 60 attendees met for two days to discuss how we can put funding for research software engineers and the work they do on a more secure footing. Following the workshop, I invited Michelle Barker from RESA, the Research Software Alliance, and Joris van Eichnatten from the eScience Centre in Amsterdam, where the workshop took place. We met earlier this year in 2023, and I wanted to find out from them what they think about the workshop and what they hope it will achieve in future. Since both are located in different time zones, I spoke to them separately. First we'll hear from Michelle, who's heading the Research Software Alliance, and then from Joris. Hello Michelle, welcome to the show. A long time no see. We've spoken before. I think it must have been something like two years ago. But maybe you can introduce yourself quickly again. Thanks, Peter. It's lovely to be back on and in this new era of 2023. Um, <laughs> I'm Michelle Barker. I'm the director of the Research Software Alliance, which is an organization that aims to improve the visibility of research software and those who create and develop it internationally and works to do so by enhancing collaboration across uh, different research software community organizations and initiatives. And I believe you took part in one of the workshops that happened in Amsterdam in late 2022 uh, called Funding Research Software. Yeah, we uh, had a fantastic opportunity to co-convene uh, this event with the Netherlands eScience Centre It was a two-day international workshop in Amsterdam uh, with a whole range of research software funders or people, organizations interested in funding research software, uh, where we had a lot of conversations about the importance of this work and what's already being done and uh, some brainstorming about how to improve uh, that kind of support. Right. So what were your expectations when you went into it? Within many events, we hoped it would be a great opportunity for sharing learnings and for people to improve their networks. A lot of funders do talk a lot to other funders, uh, but in, in this space, there's still not a lot of funders who support research software in, in the bigger scheme of things. Of course, there are many research software funders who are increasingly supporting open science and uh, things like research data management or fair data And there are some organizations who have been supporting research software projects and personnel for a long time, um, some countries and some philanthropic organizations. There's also a lot that are now just beginning to think about it. Uh, so we really wanted to provide uh, a frame uh, in, in which those uh, more experienced and less experienced could, could come together and really learn from each other, but then also see where they had common interests and potentially do things together. And were your expectations met, do you think? I think it's still early days in that recognition of the importance of research software and thinking about how to support it. So I think it was a very useful starting conversation. Uh, there are a lot of people in the room there who didn't know each other. And we would 
ideally like to run uh, this kind of forum again, you know, potentially in another year to keep building on it because there, of course, there were, you know, people who weren't represented there who want to be involved as well. Uh, so I think it was certainly very helpful in laying a lot of groundwork. And another way in which we'll keep the momentum going is that we use the event to draft uh, a declaration, uh, which is called, let me make sure I get the title, <laughs> the title right, <laughs> the Dam Declaration on Funding Research Software Sustainability. We had a draft which we discussed at the event and we're now doing some incorporating all the feedback we got into that draft and, and then we'll do some more consultation around that and then think about having a signing process uh, for funders who really want to uh, support and be held responsible for implementing it. Uh, we have that process now ongoing uh, for this year to, to use to continue uh, to enable engagement around this topic with an even broader group of people. And I think we're going to come back to the declaration maybe in a minute or two. So the thought that I have is because this was an international conference, but funding very often is really much bound to national levels and sometimes even to regional levels, depending which country you're talking in. I mean, it's a little bit like herding cats. How do you get it all together and how do you come up with a useful and very practical way of supporting funding across boundaries and across frontiers? That's a very astute question, Peter. You understand the challenges uh, very well. And that is exactly uh, the challenge that, you know, many parts of open science or other research foci face. A lot of funding is nationally focused and research software is usually used and developed by an international community or quite commonly, particularly, you know, the more successful and, and larger pieces. But there very rarely exist uh, international efforts uh, to fund that. Uh, so there was some conversation at the event on, on how to do this. There's also a research software funders forum, uh, which my organization, the Research Software Alliance, started at the beginning of 2022 with funding from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. So we have a monthly meeting of about 25 to 30 people from a, a range of different funding organizations. We exchange learnings and ideas about challenges like this, and some working groups have emerged from that funders forum. And one of them is looking at how to develop a multilateral funding call to support research software and looking at where there are exemplars in creating multilateral funding calls in other areas, uh, such as the work done by the Belmont Forum in the Earth Sciences, uh, or the way in which some of the European Commission calls work across countries. Maybe at some time there will be a multilateral call which can help meet those needs. And that was actually one of my questions, because you work for the Research Software Alliance, obviously, and uh, how that comes in. I mean, we do have countries now, thankfully, like the US, the UK, the Netherlands, France, and, and some European countries where there are funded roles for research software engineering, and then where we have white and blanks on the map, so to speak. So I talked to somebody from South Africa, for instance, who identifies research software engineer, but there's no funding for it, and in other countries as well. Could you describe how or if the Research Software Alliance is helping in those areas and in trying to identify funding solutions and talking to stakeholders? I think it's helping in two ways. First is it's really important uh, for us all to remember that Research software development has been happening in the research sector for many, many, many decades. It's only the visibility and the recognition of it that 
needs to change because in many countries or disciplines or institutions, as you were alluding to, uh, that there's challenges in career paths or recognition through publications, you know, motivation to stay in the role if it's not an academic role and not equal to being a professor in, in an academic tenure track position, etc. It's those kind of challenges that we're trying to um, overcome. But it, it's interesting to learn uh, what's happening internationally and to see if it will be interesting to see as more and more countries come into this conversation, whether there's some other models uh, that are happening in other countries that are providing good environments for research software development and may have been for some time, but have used different solutions uh, to those that have really been evolving in the last, I guess, 10 years since the research software engineering movement really started 10 years ago. There's a declaration that came out, or a draft for a declaration, so my apologies, a draft for a declaration that came out of the workshop last year, and it came up with some recommendation. Could you perhaps highlight some of the recommendations that it came up with? So it looks at a, a range of areas on, on how to support both research software um, and recognition of it, but also research software personnel, uh, so the people research and develop it. So it contains a, a number of principles um, that anyone signing to it, any funders signing up to it, uh, would be in agreement with, such as fundamental ones. The first one is that research software is critical to research and to the impact of research on society. Um, and then goes through to talk about other things related to sustainability, uh, you know, alignment with open science, um, the importance of understanding uh, dependencies, the fact that public and, and private partners are involved. And then there's a range of recommendations in the draft, which you can see publicly. It, it, it's on our website. At the moment, we'll probably go through quite a few more iterations, uh, but some of the recommendations are, for example, around that funding agencies should explicitly address the discrepancy between uh, research software as an outcome of temporary funding and the continuing need for research software. So we often see research software projects get funded as a fantastic, new, exciting initiative, but when they then ask for more funding uh, to continue to operate, uh, it's difficult to obtain that type of resourcing. Uh, and there's other recommendations around uh, the use of appropriate metrics to encourage responsible citation uh, processes, you know, fairly fundamental things like uh, enabling uh, research software staff to be funded as part of research projects. Which ones do you think are the more important ones? So do you have sort of a top three of these recommendations? Or do you think they're all equally important? Or is, <laughs> is there something that you would highlight a little bit more? Uh, interesting question. I don't know if I've thought about it in, in quite those terms. I think for me, the fundamental, the most important thing that I would like to see in the final document, the final declaration, is that recognition of software and recognition of software personnel, people that develop and maintain research software, uh, is an incredibly broad group. They can have job titles varying from something quite unambiguous like research software engineer or they could have job titles like PhD student or a bioinformatician or digital librarian or professor. Uh, there's been studies done, for example, in Australia, I was involved in uh, a study on this, about 89 job titles or something uh, for <laughs> those kind of people. Uh, so for me, yeah, it's ensuring that both the research software as the process and the outcome of research is recognised and the people element that create it. That's a very good point. Another one that actually came to my mind and that you alluded to a little bit earlier was 
It's important, of course, to fund the software and the people who write it. But once a project has finished or the funding for a project has finished, very often the software actually lives on and there's a maintenance aspect of it. And then it becomes a question of who's paying for that and who's funding that because it falls kind of out of the remit of the original funding request and funding remit. Do you think that the declaration that you have is covering that as well? I'm not sure what we'll end up having in the final wording. It will certainly have some kind of recommendation around the need to recognize that research software needs longer-term support, that funding to simply set up the uh, software isn't enough, that you can need nearly as much every year ongoing to keep updating it, to keep up, make sure it's operational and meeting the needs of existing and, and new users. So there will certainly be some kind of recommendation around the importance of that. We thought about also developing a toolkit as an add-on to the declaration, which could provide some examples of where uh, existing organizations or funders have found ways to do this. It'll be fascinating for that particular recommendation if we unearth some good examples in practice. I think in theory, we can all think of ways that it could be done. Funders could commit that if they're supporting research software, they will do in the longer term. But often, you know, funders prefer to shift their investments fairly often so that they're always doing new and interesting things and, and longer term operational funding doesn't sound quite as fascinating necessarily. <laughs> uh, so I think we can all brainstorm how it could work, but to identify some of the funders uh, who are already doing that. And an example is probably the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, who have an essential open source initiative that's been running for a few years, uh, where they do provide operational support to projects in the life sciences. You know, they find ways to sell that to their stakeholders and uh, the general public as critical, essential and, and exciting and, and showing are able to show, uh, you know, valued impact for that. Uh, there certainly are examples and, and being put able to put some of those in a toolkit, I think will really help other funders see what could be possible and expire, inspire them to think a little differently. Uh, I would like to finish off with a question regarding the timescale. And what I mean by that is... There is a declaration or I think a UN resolution about open science. There's a rather lengthy document, I believe. It's now being adopted. So we hear a lot about open science and institutions following that. And you mentioned the FAIR principles, for instance, for software, etc. So it kind of takes some time to trickle down, doesn't it? So what do you think is the timescale for this? So first to go from the draft to a version that can be actually published and then to actually filter through into the institution, into the national institutions and private sector. What do you think, how much time it would take? Wow. <laughs> I'd like to be really <laughs> optimistic here at the start of 2023 and say with the growth of open science generally and increasing focus on advancing research assessment, with those kind of pieces happening there's a great backdrop for uh, this all, for increasing recognition of research software and, and the people who develop and maintain it to happen. But we all know that change takes a long time. While there may be uh, some parts of the sector that change quite quickly, if we're talking internationally, <laughs> then 
maybe it's almost one of those things that becomes generational. I, I hope it's not that long. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, now it will happen more quickly than it would have happened 10 years ago, certainly. There's still a, a long road to go. Open science has been embraced at multiple levels by a whole range of different stakeholders and is already showing the value of its openness. But getting everyone everywhere, uh, from researchers to publishers to funders to national policy makers to infrastructure providers to, to all uh, embody that, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a little bit of a challenge for, for a while yet. So when you think this draft will then come to, do you think by the end of this year you will have a version that could then move into a version rather than a draft version? Yeah, we certainly hope to have something that then some of the funders who've been engaged with the development of it and you know feel that affinity with it then sign and, and commit to, and then we'll think about how we might be able to track that implementation over time and encourage them to report back and, and share in on, on what they've done. Well, thank you very much, Michelle, uh, for this interview and your time today. I think it looks like you've got your work cut out for 2023 and beyond. <laughs> Yeah, there's some great exemplars on declarations like the San Francisco Declaration on Research Assessment or the more recent COARA, Coalition for Advancing Research Assessment, which we keep looking at how they've done this as gold standard, uh, you know, exemplars of how to create and implement and share a declaration and engage everyone in its development. So, yeah, lots we can learn. Well, good luck with all of that. And uh, thank you very much again. Thank you, Peter. My next interview is, as mentioned before, with Joris van Nijnaten, who directs the eScience Centre in the Netherlands. Which means that Joris was wearing actually two hats for the workshop, one as a member of the International Research Software Alliance and co-organiser of this workshop, the other as director of a national research centre with its own funding challenges. When it came to the recommendations stated in the draft declaration, I wanted to see where Joris' priorities would lie. And here now, my conversation with Joris. Hello, Joris. Thank you very much for your time today. And welcome to the show. We're going to talk about research funding. But before we do, could you briefly introduce yourself? Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, so my name is Joris van Einalten. Uh, I'm the general director or uh, chief executive officer, if you like, of the Netherlands eScience Center, which is a uh, an organization, a Dutch organization, that uh, functions as the center of expertise for research software in, in the Netherlands. I have a second position too, which is smaller than the other one, and that is I'm also a professor of digital history at mm -hmm. University in the Netherlands. Oh, that's very exciting. So maybe we can do another podcast episode on digital history at yeah, some sure. stage. <laughs> <laughs> But today we want to focus on research funding because you organized a meeting with other people last year in Amsterdam on research funding. And I would like to find out a little bit more about that. And in particular, what was the reason behind that? Yeah, actually, there were, there were two reasons why we uh, organized this uh, workshop. The first reason is the more important one, I think, and that is for a, an organization that promotes research software as we do or works on, on research software. What you notice is that there's been a lot of uh, emphasis and a lot of attention paid to data. There's a lot of been organized on an international level. Think of the EOSC, for example, the European Open uh, Science Cloud. 
or the RDA, the Research Data Alliance, which mm-hmm. are organizations most researchers will probably not be aware of, but they will be aware of what has been invested on a local level on, uh, on data, making data accessible, making data fair, and so on. Now, the point is that for software, much less has been happening. And that is partly due to the fact that funders have been paying less attention to uh, to software. And software is a much more difficult thing to tackle than than data because software is it's kind of fluid. And I always say that, you know, uh, software is dead on delivery once a project is, is ended. That if you just leave it there, then the software is dead. So software needs to be hosted and maintained, should be further developed all the time. So it's more of a process. That's one definition of software than, than a thing. That is something that worried me. And one way of you know drawing attention to this, uh, I think, major issue in the research world today was by organizing this funding workshop. The other reason was the fact that the eScience Center existed for 10 years. We celebrated our 10th anniversary last year, and we wanted to do something special. And so we collaborated with the Research Software Alliance in organizing this uh, this workshop. So bringing the national perspective, our national perspective, together with the international one. In fact, it's good that you mentioned the Research Software Alliance because uh, listeners will listen to in this same episode from Michelle Barker from the Research Software Alliance, who, of course, was there as well. But who did you invite, actually? Who else was there? We tried to invite, actually, the whole world. So all the research councils <laughs> in every country in the world, uh, initially, we set out to, to invite them. Of course, we had to limit ourselves to what was logistically possible. But in the end, we got all the continents on board. So, uh, you know, if you think of organizations, places ranging from Japan, uh, Indonesia, uh, on one side of the world, to uh, Brazil, North America, the Canadians and, and, and the Americans were there. And everything in between, and a lot of European countries. And in addition to, let's say, the national research councils, we also had a number of um, philanthropic uh, organizations like the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation and the Wellcome Trust. And some, some European organizations, the Science Europe, for example, the OECD. Oh, the list goes on and on. Actually. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> How many people were there in the end? Uh, in the end, we had around, I think, 60, 65 people. Well, that's quite a lot. Congratulations for the 10th anniversary for the eScience Center in, uh, in the Netherlands, because it also is the 10th anniversary last year of research software engineering in the UK, I believe, because that's when the term was coined. So I would like to find a little bit more out from you with regards to the eScience Center, what it is and what the funding situation in general is like in the Netherlands, because it sounds like there's good funding since there's an eScience Center. The funding in the Netherlands isn't really very different from most Northwestern European country. And of course, if you'd ask any researcher there whether the funding situation is good, they will say no, because <laughs> they always need more. But the eScience Center is is uniquely organized, I think, from, from a national level in that it is a national organization that is funded on a uh, regular basis. So we have cycles of six, year, uh, six years, basically from, from the government. So the ministry pays the Dutch Research Council and from the Dutch Research Council and the SURF, which is the Dutch National Infrastructure, it eventually lands at the eScience Center. But even I would say, you know, it's never enough because there is such a huge demand for the work, the kind of work we do, mm. that um, we could easily do more. And that means that you're also hiring. So when you say the, the demands are so your center is growing then, is it? Yeah, to the extent that we can, you know, it has to fit the funding we have, of course. We can't hire more than, than we <laughs> yeah. get funding. So. We've grown rapidly over the past past two or three years from about half of what we are now, and we are now at 100 people. That's been a rapid growth, and we've been 
you know, successful beyond my wildest dreams, actually, uh, in, in hiring good people from really all over the world. So the story I said, uh, I told you just now about the funding organization also, also applies to the hiring strategy we have. You know, we, we get people from all these different countries to work at the eScience Center. So let's get back to the funding workshop that you had last year. Uh, one of the outcomes was the declaration, which I think is now in draft form with uh, some recommendations that we can talk a little bit about later. But from your perspective, what was the main outcome? And is it what you expected? Oh, yes. I, the, the workshop was actually very successful. So I was, I was really very happy with the way it went. The idea of the workshop was to have a draft de declaration, which is uh, published on the website, so for everybody to see. Uh, but it's only a draft. And so the workshop was about discussing the draft and to see whether the draft, you know, worked at all. Uh, should it be completely different? Um, or should things be added? Or, you know, were things missing? Should things be changed? And so on and so forth. And we had two days of intensive discussion. And the outcome were two things, I think. A lot of enthusiasm from these funders who found the material extremely interesting. So that was <laughs> very encouraging. And the other thing is that they had a, a lot of concrete comments, observations to make about the draft declaration that everybody wanted to move forward with it. And that is currently the process we are in. The workshop wasn't a one-off event. It is also itself the kickoff of a process which we hope to complete within, well, let's say one year, two years at most, uh, to have a def definitive version of the declaration, which can be signed by different uh, institutions all over the world. In summary, it was not only the workshop wasn't only for people who want the money, the people who want to get funded, but also the people who can give the money, the funders as themselves. They were being basically brought together. Well, actually, the workshop itself was exclusively for people who have the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I mean, so so what these people can do is make conditions in their calls. So, you know, if you want to get money from us, you have to do this and this and this uh, in order to get it. This and this and this concern research software. It's basically you need the funders to change, right? They are you know, part of the process of ensuring that change happens. Change in the sense that people are you know, not only aware of what research software is, but, but also take that awareness seriously by changing the, the research culture to make that work. So you have 10 recommendations. So which ones are the top ones for you? I, I believe the top one is the challenge of connecting temporary funding with a permanent outcome. So what we're asking funders here is to think about not just the, the project itself and not just the outcome of a project mm. and the, the duration of a project, but also think about the future of the outcome of the project, right? So if the outcome of a project is research software, and as I mentioned a moment before, if the outcome is software and then nothing's done with it, the software will be dead on delivery. Mm. So what research funders need to do, and this goes against their grain, right? This is something they don't like doing because, because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it messes up the whole bureaucratic system. A project is, by definition, temporary, and research software is, is the outcome. But what you want is continued investment in, in, in the software. Now, how do you do that as a funder? And there are different ways of approaching this issue, but it doesn't come natural to funders. You know, surprisingly and interestingly, they were very uh, interested in the problem and they recognized the problem and they said, yes, we should do something about it. Nobody knew exactly what, but that is part of the process we are in now. What do you expect will happen once the draft goes into a final version, which you said would be happening within the next year or two? I mean, you, you've got the funders on board in the sense that you got them around the table in your workshop, but how do you use the declaration then to actually make all the recommendations happen? It's, it's up to the funders, right? I mean, that, that is the, the, the beginning and the end of, of those stories. 
what, what we did was the, was really give the kickoff for a community effort. The emphasis is, is on community and we are part of the community. We are happy to, you know, write a draft and then push the whole project forward by, um, talking to funders, getting their inputs, making sure that in the end we do get this definitive declaration that is comfortable for everybody to sign. But implementing the recommendations themselves will be up to the, up to the funders. It won't be a legal thing, right? We, we're not requiring anything. We are asking them to take these recommendations seriously, and it's up to the funders then to move on with this. That's why it's important to get everyone together, because then people can learn from each other. They, you know, different countries have different paces. Some, some are further ahead than, than others. There will hopefully be some social pr- pressure. So, you know, if one funding agency starts <laughs> uh, changing things that the other ones will follow. As I said, we're very enthusiastic about this. So I expect that a lot of the recommendations, and this will vary from funding agency to funding agency. Not every funding agency will implement everything, I think, mm. but a lot will be done. This goes beyond the signing of the declaration itself. Indeed. This is something mm. that may take 10, 15 years. Yeah, I think you need to have a long breath for this. So your strategy would be to keep engaged with the funders and help them implement the recommendations that they will themselves sign off after all once they're happy with the declaration in its final draft. I'm on uh, the research uh, software alliance steering group committee but I'm also the director of the e-science center right so from the national level I've tried to uh, kick this off and we're facilitating the process but it's RISA the research software alliance that is carrying the process now and, and leading it and that's the way it should be right because RISA is an international organization Uh, which is well-positioned to do this. So what's in it for the funders then? They give money to the research project and when it ends, it ends. But as you say, software lives on, there's maintenance, needs to be kept alive, there's future development, and it can't be all volunteers doing it. So what is the benefit for funders that you think you can sell to them? This is why you should invest in this. Well, there are two, two benefits, I think, a moral one or an ethical one and, and the financial one. So, so, so the first one is it fits naturally into what funding agencies, or many of them anyway, are doing at the moment, right? Many have recognized the importance of something like recognition and rewards, recognizing other kinds of research than the usual suspects, which is a publication or a, a grant which you were able to get, but also building software. You know, that, that's the obvious one, or you know, caring for data. Funders are becoming increasingly aware of this. So a lot of what is in the recommendations naturally ties into discussions which funders are having anyway. The other thing that they should find interesting is this financial aspect, because a lot of resources are being wasted in the kind of mechanisms we have now where research software is built during a project and then basically shelved. And then the next project begins and the same software, or almost the same software, is again built from scratch. So there's a lot you can do to save resources and, and economize financially by having sustainable software, which can be reused, which is robust, which is of a high quality. Funders can bring this about by setting requirements or conditions to their projects. Now, if you want this project, if you want to build this software, then you have to have a software management plan. Then you have to think about the future and we can give you some funding for the future. So there's a mm-hmm. lot funders can do here and it will be to their own benefit. Would we then also not need to work on the research teams to say, okay, they need to adhere more to the practices? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a condition that can be laid down by, by a funding agency that it's important to have a team which has the necessary expertise in the sense of, for example, uh, research software engineers, but also data stewards, right? And that's the data part of the story, which is 
there's growing awareness in that respect and less so for, for RSEs or research software engineers. A condition could be that you really need to have that kind of expertise in a team at the institution you, you're working at if you want to run this project. So that means that you shouldn't only pay attention to software, but also mm. to the people who build the software. They're extremely possible. I think we're coming to the end now. The next step, apart from finishing the declaration uh, to get a final draft or a final version, rather, I guess that Reza is now taking over and will also then conclude with another meeting or another session just to keep the funders and the research software engineers engaged. Is that the plan then? The plan is to continue to work on the declaration and perhaps to have another meeting. And I think a possible venue for that meeting would be Canada, not the Netherlands, mm. but, but another organization and uh, another country. And then after that, see if we can, or Risa rather, draw everything together. And then after that, once the declaration is there, and that is still a bit misty, still vague as to how we would push that forward. But that depends largely on the funders themselves. What do they, do they want? How would they like to proceed? Well, thank you very much, Joris. That was a very interesting discussion. And I wish you all the best for the future. And of course, good luck with the funding. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you very much for, uh, for having me. If you're interested in the draft declaration, you can find them in the episode notes along with a link to the workshop itself. And while we're on the subject of funding, you can now support this show by leaving a small tip. Just follow the Patreon link in the episode notes. Oh, time's up. See you next time. But before I forget, this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons license. See ya!